I set out to write just a book about that connection between UFOs and death. Um, that was the original plan. It was not to write something that encompassed the whole of the paranormal, more or less, but that's what it ended up being. There were three things, uh, and for apologies to anyone who's heard my interviews on this in the past, but this is just the origin story of it. There were three things that stuck in my head for a long time. The first and most prominent, it's also the epigraph at the beginning of the book. In the wake of communion, Whitley and Ann Streber received just a flood of correspondence from other experiencers and uh, Anne was I just listened to an interview the other day where Whitley said I wanted to throw them all away and Anne said no we're reading them so Anne sat down and read all this correspondence and began making uh, correspondences she began making uh, correlations rather a list of these mm. and the one that really stuck with Whitley the most uh, that he's mentioned in his subsequent work was this has something to do with what we call death Welcome to the Spirit Box Podcast, where we explore folklore, magic, the world of the spirits, and everything in between. Today, I'm very excited to welcome back the great Joshua Cutchin to discuss his masterwork of scholarship and research, Ecology of Souls. This is a comprehensive dive into the overlaps between a huge range of mythological, paranormal, and consciousness phenomena. It it's really is an extraordinary book. We live our entire lives knowing that death awaits us. The hopeful believe, they insist, that some part of us endures after we make our final transition. Their convictions are corroborated by eyewitnesses who swear to have seen spirits of the dead haunting the living, and even appear in alien abductions. Is the UFO mystery reaching out to us from beyond the stars or from beyond the grave? This staggering implication demands not only scrutiny from the UFO phenomenon, but nearly every unexplained mystery haunting us today. I can't emphasize this enough, but this, this truly is a, a, modern, uh, a modern classic in our field. Between volumes one and two and the companion book, Joshua has done an exhaustive level of research into this field and all the different parallels and contradictions that make up this um, extraordinary world we live in. It really is uh, an astonishing piece of work. Kudos to, to, to Joshua for, for completing us. It's, it's a gift really to our wider community. In the Plus Show, we get into why is Ireland such a hotspot for activity? What causes a hotspot in the first place? I ask Joshua a, a, a pretty tired question, but he very graciously gives me a, a, a great answer as to what is his favorite story in the collection. We also discuss what religion has the best take on death in his opinion against the backdrop of his research. And we get into his new book um, on fairies and film. Now, if you want to hear the plus show, super easy to do so. Just join the Patreon and there you go. You'll get access to the extended version of this show and the extended version of all Spirit Box shows, plus a whole heap of bonus content, bonus shows, and access to all the Spirit Garden work that we do on the Patreon. That is knowing how to, to garden and, and produce food in a way that is conscious of place, conscious of the non-human intelligence, in, in the space you're in and really kind of develop your own stewardship of the area you're in. Right, let's get on with the show. 
Joshua Cutchin. It is wonderful to have you back on Spiritbox. Really nice. How have you been? I've been good. I've been busy. Um, but, you know, as as 2020 showed all of us, busy is better than the alternative. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've been uh, talking to a lot of people about Ecology of Souls. I've been I just got back uh, earlier this week from the Archives of the Impossible Conference at Rice University in Texas mm-hmm. with uh, Dr. Jeffrey Kripal and about two dozen other people that I uh, well, three dozen probably other people that I wanted to meet or didn't know I wanted to meet or yeah. hadn't met in in the flesh yet. So it was um, I'm, I've been riding high on that right now. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, I've um, I've just uh, to, to recap our our conversation before we hit record. Um, I've just finished volume one of of Ecology of, Ecology of Souls. You know, yeah, there you go. Rather than see, you know, sometimes it blurs when you hold it up, but um, I love the cover art. <laughs> Saint Terence, right in the middle there. Yep, Saint Saint Terry of McKenna. Um, <laughs> because you know, then the name Ecology of Souls for anyone yeah. who's uh, wondering um, was actually plucked directly from a Terence McKenna lecture. I've tried to look. Granted, I haven't tried as hard as I could, mm-hmm. but I've tried to look and see if that particular phrase had any yeah. um, precedent before he started using it, and I, yeah. I haven't found it yet. So right. it seemed appropriate to have him on the cover. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, but the. I mean, I'm only halfway through. There's a whole volume two for me to get through as well. Um, and there's the you've got like a companion book as well of companion notes, which is um, how many thousands of words did you do in the end? It's around two hundred sixty thousand words. Um, wow. Uh, and yeah, the companion is uh, was was sort of a dilemma. I mean, it's it was it's one book, right? I mean, it's not yeah. yeah. It's not it, the, the 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 chapter numbering even continues right. You know, into volume right. two. But it became apparent that I would have about three to four hundred pages just of reference material. So that was that was what gave birth to the companion. Yeah. But that sort of again put me in the dilemma of allowing people who buy the print version to have access to that because you know if, if you buy the print version, you should have access to the endnotes. You shouldn't have yeah. to pay extra. So yeah. I, I'm a bit of a of a physical media junkie so i i decided to make a physical copy for people like me yeah and have the pdf available for mm-hmm. free online on my website yeah. and there's yeah. some there's a, a website that you can go to that's listed in the book but to my surprise even with that free pdf being available on my website yeah. about a third of the sets that have been purchased uh, include the companion which oh wow warms the cockles mm. of my physical media loving heart <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic i am well, I mean, even though I'm only halfway through, the, the it's an exceptional piece of work. You know, it, it's just an an incredibly comprehensive scholarly piece of work. You know, uh, and you know, kudos to you for 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 completing that that undertaking because it is read the scope of this is vast. You know, um, and even to plot together the kind of the myriad of of, of um, fields that you do um you know it, it it's you, the tapestry you you create tells a, a comprehensive and cohesive story you know uh which is really really good and i i do and i genuinely like um i i think it's 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 for me it's up there with like um a diamonic reality by 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 patrick harper i think it's it's of that ilk and i think you've i think you've really you've 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 created a classic in this field. Well, I I couldn't I couldn't find higher praise than that. Um, it does, you know, without sort of um, 
because it's always hard to talk about these things and people sure. say nice things about you. So I'll just go ahead and embrace that for the time yeah. being. Um, yeah, it does feel like the sort of thing that you could I could have only written after having sort of lived and breathed this yeah. for a while um, and sort of internalized it. And that's probably part of why it came together relatively quickly. Um, mm. I think researching and writing was about uh, 18 months or something like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, it... Um, it's also the sort of thing, and I would I would never I want to underscore this. I would never use this language about something that I've done myself. But if people did have thrown out that sort of magnum opus thing, so you kind yeah. of I kind of step back from it. I'm like, is this the is this the biggest thing that I ever do? And you know, the answer <laughs> the answer is in terms at least of uh, a word count, hell yes. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, I just I it's I I got frustrated after seeing time and again. Uh, these little tidbits that keep getting mentioned here and there, mm -hmm. and no one really trying to stitch them together, mm -hmm. especially especially in the UFO field. You know, there'll mm -hmm. be books where it's like, oh, people see dead dead relatives uh, during alien abductions. Moving on, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> okay, well, let's take a step back and try to piece mm -hmm. all this together. And it was a horrible, wonderful decision. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that a lot. I mean, the 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 work I finished recently was sixty thousand, and yep. it was. You know, it's my podcast. I can swear it was fucking awful, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You got like 200 k plus on me, but um, we we've spoken a lot about yeah the how wonderful this book is. We haven't spoken about what it's actually about. So, um, could you give our our, our listeners kind of an overview of of the work? Well, I set out to write just a book about that connection between UFOs and death. Um, that was the original plan. It was not to write something that encompassed the whole of the paranormal, more or less, but that's what it ended up being. There were three things, uh, and for apologies to anyone who's heard my interviews on this in the past, but this is just the origin story of it. There were three things that stuck in my head for a long time. The first and most prominent, it's also the epigraph at the beginning of the book. In the wake of communion, Whitley and Ann Streber received just a flood of correspondence from other experiencers. And uh, Anne was, I just listened to an interview the other day where Whitley said, I wanted to throw them all away. And Anne said, no, we're reading them. So Anne sat down and read all this correspondence and began making uh, correspondences. She began making uh, correlations, rather, a list of these. Mm. And the one that really stuck with Whitley the most uh, that he's mentioned in his subsequent work was this has something to do with what we call death. Now, I love the poignancy of that phrase, some, what we call death, right? Um, whatever that, that might be. So that always stuck with me. Uh, the second thing is one of my sort of formative texts that I always go back to is uh, George P. Hansen's The Trickster and the Paranormal. And he draws a lot of comparisons, obviously, as the name would imply, between the tricks between trickster figures and the paranormal. But there's something left on the table in that book. Um, you know, he mentions Hermes quite a bit. But he doesn't really talk about Hermes's other identity or other duty mm -hmm. as a psychopomp, as one of right. these characters that lead human beings past the threshold of life, of life into death. So I thought, well, maybe there's something to that as well. And then once you start looking at U the UFO mythos through the lens of the psychopomp, it's hard to unsee some of these things, as you'll mm -hmm. see, in, as you'll find out in volume two. Um but then there is also uh, another text which always has informed what I've done, which is Jacques Vallée's 1969 Passport to Magonia. I mean, I think personally it might be one of the most important UFO books ever yeah. written because yeah. Vallée did such a great job of saying this modern UFO 
experience looks quite a bit like these older mythologies specifically making the best comparisons i think to the to the fairy folklore yeah but the question is sort of you know that was 1969 what does a passport to magonia look like if it was written 500 years earlier you know Mm -hmm. it would probably say hey these fairies look a lot like what we talk about with dead people and sure enough if you go back to a lot of the western european literature although you can find it all over the world similar comparisons but if you specifically just look at sort of western europe you can find endless um, endless examples of the dead being among fairies, the dead becoming fairies, the dead, um, you know, sort of appearing at, at fairy areas or, you know, the stories that uh, involve the food taboo where you shouldn't eat or drink in fairyland. Oftentimes that warning is given at a fairy party by someone that the narrator recognizes as a dead relative or a dead neighbor or something like that. So, this connection's been there the entire time, and through the transitive property, if if you know fairies were thought of in some instances as the dead, and we think of UFOs in relation to the fairies as well, then by that transitive property, yeah, <laughs> it does have something to do with what we call death. But um, I don't think I always try to, even though I am a practicing Christian, not fall into that really reductive "oh, it's all demons" sort of thinking because that's just, I mean, a, it's boring, and b, I don't think it's an accurate reading of the phenomena, nor is it. An accurate reading of what is probably an ecology of of spirits or souls that you know they are good things and they're bad things and there's a probably the lion's share in the middle is kind of indifferent and can go either way yeah i i mean i think that's a very accurate description of it i mean most most things are, are entirely ambiguous you know um and i i think this does come and that that sense of like ambiguity of, of like what you're dealing with or what you're engaging with um for 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 those of us that where some of these paranormal experiences have um you know rang our respective doorbells uh and called um you never really get past that ambiguity you know you never really kind of oh well what is this all about and and one of the things I really kind of enjoyed about your book is that you put so much evidence, like you, you got, gathered so much source material from folklore around the world, uh, from encounters around the world. I was glad to see Ireland so well represented in there, being the um, the fairy hotspot that it is. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, but um, even though you get to that whole position, you you, you paint all this this incredible arcs and, and, and plot all, all, all these themes together you're you're still you personally still in the same position of going you know well i don't know i guess you know yeah that, that's something that i've really struggled with because um you know uh, my mentors and you know even people in the field that i look up to like john keel like one of the first things they'll say is don't get high on your own supply right you know? <laughs> i mean uh tr- try to maintain some uh distance from this and don't fall in love with your own pet theory and I, yeah. i've i've since i guess you don't get on the other side of something this big and not find yourself quite enamored with it but mm. i am so i'm still trying to like i'm trying to break myself out of this line of thinking but it seems like a a compelling argument can be made without really sort of defining things like what death is and what the afterlife yeah. is yeah it seems like a compelling argument can be made that this is all about some way that we are trying to relate to that transition yeah um, um one of the areas that i found hugely interesting um that you explored in the book was 
drawing parallels between kind of um, people's like psychedelic experiences, in particular, kind of the highly immersive psychedelic experiences with um, near death experiences and and uh, other extraordinary. Um, out of the ordinary experiences that people have. I, I thought that was a really interesting parallel and one I hadn't really considered before. Um, and it made an awful lot of sense, you know, as you, you built it out, like, you know, the machine, yeah, apps, no, the fairies. Well, that's something that I, I sort of had gotten frustrating with, frustrated with is that, you know, you have some of these people who have done great work in these fields, but they've always mm -hmm. kind of been siloed off and they've only sought to compare one contact modality to the other. So I'm thinking specific of, you know, specifically of Kenneth Ring, who said, hey, these alien abductions look a lot like these near-death experiences. And you've had people say, hey, these near-death experiences look like these psychedelic experiences. And you've had people who might say, like Eddie Bullard, uh, might say, you know, the uh, alien abduction experience looks a lot like the shamanic initiation. But they've never really tried to put these things in dialogue with one another, if that makes mm -hmm. any sense. Yeah. Um, and once you do, then you start folding in, you know, even a lot of trips to fairyland and a lot of uh, encounters with cryptids. And it starts to, you know, I'd say each of them have about probably a 75% conformity rate. There's always something, there's always something that doesn't quite line up, but it's, yeah. it's usually enough that it makes you say, what if this is all, again, flirting with reductivism here, but what if this is all going to a same, the same or a similar space? in each mm -hmm. of these encounters mm -hmm. and i i think at least in uh you know the, the cryptid stuff is always a little bit finicky when you're trying to fit it in there sometimes it does just seem like un, un, undiscovered animals but you can even make comparisons with that and i think that in some cases that might very well be what's going on is that it's just this threshold experience um that that sort of brings you into this other space and speaking of kind of like the the cryptids um the whole cryptid phenomena going back to kind of your earlier work of like where do the footprints end where the footprints end and then looking back further you got like thieves in the night like do you think this is like the ecology of souls you were kind of building up to that because you're exploring a similar thing there you're asking a lot of questions about bigfoot and yeah, you know, yeah it's I, na true nature i, I do i I am um, as I'm as I'm fond of saying, like my inner twelve year old really wants Bigfoot to be a big monkey. Like, like that, I want I want it to be that because that's that's what I learned about from the beginning. And you know, uh, maybe maybe this isn't the forum to discuss it, but there's plenty of evidence that suggests as much. Um, you know, that really conforms to the idea of whatever this thing is being a primate. But uh, I guess I have Timothy Renner to blame a little bit for that. But you know, over the course of my different work, I I sort of uh, came to suspect that a lot of these uh, cryptids are something from that sort of imaginal realm. Right. And, and part of that, honestly, I mean, you live with this ambiguity being a magician, but um, part, part of that, honestly, is is finding so much sense in a lot of the skeptical pushback, you know, mm -hmm. to, you know, why don't we have a body? Why don't we have more evidence? Why don't we have inclusive, you know, DNA samples? You know, mm -hmm. it's always, it lives in this sort of vague area. And of course, you know, the occultists are always comfortable with that, but the cryptozoologists mm -hmm. aren't. Um, so, you know, there's a little bit more of a push to bring cryptozoology into this other space that deals in, in ambiguity a little bit more. That sort of Patrick Harbour space, I guess, is what it is. Yeah, yeah. And 
the thing I find hugely interesting about this territory is that is that you deal with a lot of ambiguity. I mean, as an experiencer uh, or as an as an occultist of some description, a lot of the kind of earlier forays are ambiguous. You're like, did I hear something? You know, did it work? Did the spell work? What you know, you know, was the voice in my head? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why does the voice in my head tend to agree with what I want all the time? You know, uh, but then, then things do happen. Then you get those kind of earth shattering moments where you 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 can't. You, you you can't rationalize them you know um and I, I think an awful lot about the people whose accounts you gave in the book you know uh, and i go what happened to them you know like how do they yeah i mean you talk about it as well that people come back with healing powers and, uh, and that kind of thing and yeah but did they did they incorporate it i mean you know you mm. can you can go to therapy religiously and never miss an appointment, but unless you do something with it, it's just going to sit there. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I feel like, I feel like a lot of these experiences are, are that to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. I mean, not, not literally therapy, but I mean, I mean, they have that sort of same quality that they only mean something, quote unquote, mean something if, if you actually deal with them. Mm-hmm. And speaking about people and kind of their experiences, you, you talk to shamanism uh in the book as well uh, which i really liked um and i and i and i broadly agree with your 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 thoughts uh, on it like um i i personally think that most of what we call traditional british and irish witchcraft could be defined as a form of shamanism i know a lot of witches would not yeah. prove of that but i think it's i think it's getting tied up in the in the detail of specific different types of shamanism an amazonian shaman you know is going to be very different from uh, you know a siberian one but the broad context of being that that mediator that that person who's the ambassador that works works back and forth between both worlds that seems to be the same quality yeah, it's something that I struggle with a great deal because um, <clears throat> there's there's a lot more attention now to whether or not we should be using that word as broadly yeah. as we have in the past. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I understand that, uh, you know, and I, I, I tried to acknowledge that a little bit, but there are communities that would sort of bristle at that broad application. Mm. Um, and it's just, I think part of it's just the fact that we don't really have a good word to encompass all these different uh, variations that you see on this yeah. idea of you know, basically being an intercessor between the human and the spirit world. Yeah. Um, you know, and I could make up some sort of neat little uh, catch phrase or something. And, you know, but it was just like, let's just stick with this term and just sort mm-hmm. of try to use it as best we can mm-hmm. um, because nothing else really seems to fit. But yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to me, you know, a lot of people will see these correspondences across cultures and they'll assume that they all came from the same place in other words they'll they'll think that perhaps there was some sort of global culture that spanned the world and that's why mm. you have the diffusion mm. of all these different ideas or practices and, you know I, I'm, I'm sympathetic to the idea that there was i'm sympathetic to the idea that our history is not what the official narrative is i'm very sympathetic mm. to that idea but at the same time i feel like that sort of robs the objective nature of some of this interaction and what i mean by that specifically is i think that people arrive at similar uh, techniques and similar 
you know, landmarks or shapes because because these techniques and these these this sort of architecture, thinking of something like the pyramids, that works. Like mm -hmm. it works. Like that's yeah. just what it is. It's a, it's the same thing as the bow and arrow, right? You know. Yeah. Um, people 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 discovered this through trial and error, all independently, because it just it just works for for reaching out to this other realm. Yeah, I I, I agree with that completely. You know, I, I often kind of I've looked at stuff where you have just remarkable similarities between gin lore and and, and fairy lore. You know. Um, almost the same taboos um gin exhibiting exhibiting the same behavior as, as fairies except there is that localized cultural difference mm -hmm. not just in the observer but how the phenomena behaves there's just that little bit that 25 percent that is localized and and and, and right defined by the local culture yeah and I, i'm not always sure what to make of that i mean it does bring up the question how much of this phenomena is self-generated which is an idea that i was mm -hmm. very resistant to like because mm -hmm. you know again my inner 12 year old <laughs> doesn't want me to be projecting these things into the world but um <laughs> and i don't think that you know i can't sort of reconcile it with the fact well it doesn't make it any less miraculous and it doesn't mm -hmm. make it any less strange um but yeah it does you know sort of cultural differences the sort of i mean you know even if you want to go back to to bigfoot you know there are so many variations in the appearance of bigfoot that you're either dealing with subspecies and you're getting really that, that gets real complicated real quick to sort of mm -hmm. justify that or you're asking yourself you know why are these things so different all the time and, and the idea of cultural contamination of people bringing their own expectations to the table i think mm -hmm. all these things are in play uh and i think that they might go a distance to if not explaining the um the outliers at least to providing you an avenue of exploration to explain the outliers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What was um, what changed in you the most when by the time you finished this opus? Um, well, how different were you in terms of your view of the broad phenomenon from 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 the first from, from when your word count was one, right? It was two hundred sixty thousand. You know, I, I'd have to say one of the biggest things was that um, that that idea that it could be self-generated to some degree. I would also say that um, that I have a broadly speaking a more positive view of all these things. And of course, people will be like, "Oh, well, this happened that was negative, and this happened that was negative." But that also came with a sort of sea change in the way that I thought about death. And you know, again, I've always believed in an afterlife. This hasn't been a major sticking point for me, but you soon come to realize that a lot of the reasons that people have fear in these experiences is because they fear death or something, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and then you come to realize that there might be things worse than that, you know? Um, you, you know, the, the examples that I always give are, you know, unfulfilled potential or mm -hmm. um, hurting or harming or disappointing loved ones. I mean, these things are all, you know, these things are all quite terrifying to me and are much mm -hmm. worse than death. So once you sort of reframe death, through that lens of not being as um not being as a finite and b um catastrophic as we often think it is mm. then it's like well you know i th i think that a lot of these things more i th i suspect that more often than not these things have a beneficial aspect now again that doesn't mean that they're pleasant right mm -hmm. <laughs> 
um, as any as any magical practitioner will tell you. It doesn't mean that it's always pleasant, but it does mean that if you can persevere and come through the other side, it might be it might have a net positive effect. And I right. know that's hard for some people to 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 hear, but again, that doesn't mean that I'm saying that this is enjoyable or good 100% of the time. So that was a big part of it. You know, one of the things yeah. that my my wife kept giving me tr- grief about was like, do you think anybody's going to want to read a whole book about death? And I'm like, well, you know, it it ends up being um, something of a, for me at least, sort of a, a life affirming, uh, you know, exercise. I mm-hmm. one of the most humbling things that's ever happened to me was um, I, perhaps narcissistically, um, but I I um, often check online just to see make sure that I know what people are saying and, you know, just some people have alerts set up and I just go in every day and Google me or my books or whatever, and just see sort of what people are saying, try to get a read of the room. And I discovered in uh, a New Zealand newspaper that there was a well thought of, I believe he was a, an associate professor or something to that extent, but um, the la- the book that he was reading when he passed away was Ecology of Souls. Wow. It got mentioned in the article and it was, it was, it's a weird thing to sit with because, you know, you're like, I yeah. want you to be reading Tolstoy or something. I don't want you to be <laughs> reading me. Um, but, you know, I corresponded with some of his colleagues and, and they said that um, it did bring him a sense of, of well-being there towards the end. Mm. Interestingly enough, the article um, included a lot of very interesting things. There was a rare a rare white bird that he saw just before his death. And I'm like, yeah, that, that sort of tracks. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I guess to that end like you know and i've heard from a couple of people that this 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 work has had that sort of reassuring quality to it um that that our our world you know you can relax uh death isn't the end and our our reality is much stranger than we give it credit for yeah i i think that's the fundamental takeaway you know um yeah it really is much stranger um thinking back to what you were talking about about kind of things that are worse than death um you you talk about the the ordeal that some um well let's stick with the word for now but the people with kind of a a, a shamanic um initiation go through um hugely common that getting bones removed having rib cages taken out and replaced of different material crystalline material that kind of stuff um it's it's often referred to i find in occult circles as a, a you know an initiation you know um but still not spoken of lightly you know it's like when it's been recounted to me it's always come across as being like that was brutal um you know i saw myself being dismembered and then put back together again. Um, there seems to be an awful, lot, an awful lot of, for want of a better word, or just ordeal that the individual is put through. You know, like they're put in a kind of a crucible uh, and made go through some very, very challenging experience, nightmarish experiences or you're brutalized in the psychic world, but it's like some sort of terrible fight camp. You know, you're kind of like <laughs> being trained, you know, being brutalized to, to, to toughen one up for whatever that purpose might be, whatever that business, 
that you're being lined up for. You know, what would be your thoughts on that? I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a cry in the dojo, laugh on the battlefield, right? You know, <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's, and, and yeah, I, I, I've become more immersed in the past couple of years in the recovery community, being a part of it myself. And, you know, to a person, the people who, who come out the other side of that experience um, and are able to stick with it and make it work and, you know, integrate it into their lives, uh, to a person, they wouldn't trade their rock bottom really for anything. You know? um, mm, mm. So it's the same metaphor that you see time and again, not only of death and rebirth, but, you know, it's the, it's the cleansing brush fire to make way for, for new growth and yeah. all these things. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that that's a, that's a huge part of it. And I, I kind of, you know, kind of wonder if the, you know, alien abduction experience such as it is nowadays, obviously I, I, I suspect as many of my colleagues do that it's not as prominent nowadays as it once felt. I just think that, maybe the information is going through different channels than it used to, but um, mm -hmm. setting aside, you know, the incidence of these experiences in 2023, um, I suspect that it might have some sort of interplay with how we just, I wouldn't say we don't have a sense of self in the Western world, but, you know, we've taken out all these rites of passage, um, mm -hmm. even the things that we substituted <clears throat> them for, um, have sort of been washed away as well there's no real good defining point you know from mm -hmm. childhood into adulthood and i kind of wonder if 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 this doesn't sort of serve that purpose as well it's like no, yeah you, you this is this is the moment there's a before and there's an after and this is when that happens yeah that's a really good point you know and i and i think it's i think it's something that we're particularly in the in in the west where we have been kind of desacralized um and a lot of stuff has been stripped of meaning you know um, and yeah i mean adulthood becomes you know get a mortgage and a child and it's like well that's not really yeah and that might be de facto adulthood but that's not like that's not a spiritual transition by it's not the imagination. you know yeah. and you know without kind of getting on on a soapbox because i'm extreme i'm guilty of this as well so we end up on kind of an extended adolescence you know, like um, I'm 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 knocking on the door of fifty. You know, and I'm still fucking about in the PlayStation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, guilty as charged. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and you think about what you know our grandfathers and great grandfathers were doing at fifty. Yeah, totally. Um, that might be a function of of luxury too, to a certain degree, mm -hmm. you know, and and what they had available to them. Uh, but but yeah, <laughs> yeah, is... yeah. They're up there now going. If I had a PlayStation, I would yeah, exactly. fucking rather than two. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, and I think it's, uh, I, I, you know, I suspect it's a problem. I don't really know what we're going to do about it, other than become, you know, because I don't think that playing PlayStation bars your spiritual development. But it, <laughs> it is, it is symptomatic that you know, um, it is symptomatic of another problem. But uh, <laughs> I, I think that. And of course, I'm still riding high on on mm -hmm. the the conference in Texas, but I, I I feel like we have reached a point where there is more of a call inward, 
Yeah, um, yeah I, I think so. Yeah, the magical renaissance that started sort of unfolding a couple of years ago, I think, mm -hmm. spoke to that. Um, I think the rise in in paganism spoke to that as well. I think we we feel like, and I don't, I don't necessarily feel this way. So everybody, take take note of that. But I I get the feeling like, from a cultural perspective, we feel like we have met a dead end with science, and we're like, well, this is this keeps on giving us great stuff, but it's not. Yeah, it's not imparting that sort of meaning, you know. Yeah, I, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. The philosopher John Moriarty spoke about that. Um, is a, a philosopher I absolutely adore, an Irish guy. Um, but he 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 wrote a book in the early nineties called Dreamtime, and it's kind of his whole thesis was through the Cartesian view of the world. We we've we've basically we've run out of stories. You know, and and really, what I think he was saying is that like our imaginal world has been, you know, it's almost been sterilized out of us in the West. Yeah, this is this is a huge problem that I have because, like, look, I, I love deconstruction stories, right? Mm. So I I love the boys and I love Watchmen and mm. I love all these mm. deconstructive stories. I love you know seeing a princess rescue herself. I think that's all really cool, but I do fear that. Well, quite frankly, those stories don't mean anything unless you come into them with the baggage of having sort of those tried and sort of, frankly, mm. stale tropes. But, um, you know, those tropes stuck around for so long because I do think they have this deep archetypal meaning. And now it feels like yeah. everything is just deconstruction. And it's like, well, mm. you know, that's that's nice. But I, I kind of I, I feel like at least storytelling in the popular medium and the popular pop culture space has become I, I think it could it could do for a return back to some of those sort of more basic forms again yeah i love i, I love the deconstruction i think it's great mm -hmm. i think it's mm -hmm. i think it points out a lot of interesting stuff but i you know uh we could still use a couple of films every now and then where the yeah. knight rescues the princess alongside the princess rescuing herself just sort of yeah. a balance of that yeah yeah no i i i think that's really really valid and it, it definitely kind of ties into that idea of like well we've got to you know we've 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 culturally got to a point where we we've kind of hit we've hit the wall you know and i think it goes back to to it's it's part of that kind of mosaic of like we have those extended adolescence that we don't have these mm -hmm. kind of like points where you are, are defined in, into adulthood through some kind of ritualized process. I mean, I, I you know, I, I, I was born Catholic. I went through confirmation. Like, did it really have any meaning for me? Didn't really. It was mainly how much money I was going to get out of my relatives. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it, meant every, it, meant, it meant something to everyone around you. Yeah, and I think it's, I think it's my telling. Uncles, my uncles were cheap, Josh. My, my uncles were cheap. <laughs> But I think it's I think it's telling that all this stuff feels like it's coming to a head at the same time yeah. amongst the the bigger geopolitical turmoil that we're seeing. I mean, it feels like, you know, I mean, I really wish that Terrence had uh, had planned his his. I wish that his time wave zero idea had focused around twenty twenty as opposed to twenty twelve. Well, the thing um, is, I I think he might have been right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you look at sort of the some of these shifts, and I think that some of them, you know, the the locomotive is running full steam ahead mm, now. But some mm. of those shifts started in twenty twelve. You know, that's yeah, when the they train did. pulled out of the station. Mm. Um, yeah, 
definitely. But uh, again, looking at kind of our story, looking at the films, you know, like we've had a, a whole raft of just like dreadful rehashes of like, you know, epic work like the, the Amazon's recent kind of like um, foray into Tolkien's world and mm-hmm. numerous kind of different knockoffs of that kind of Dungeons and Dragons world. And we have this, we have these spectacles of, of, of films, you know, that they're, they're vast in their scale and they're, they're, they're epic in their presentation. But we're numb now, you know, like, um, like when I think of like, say the first Marvel films that came out, they were, you know, fun films. First Iron Man was great. All that kind of stuff. And then when I kind of see a new Marvel film going, I'm like, oh, fuck off. Yeah, it's, you know? it's, it's well, it's it's kind of like, you know, I feel like we've all been kind of waterboarded by Marvel at this point. <laughs> like, it's just this constant <laughs> stream of stuff that we're just getting in our faces, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, maybe, maybe slow down a little bit, please. Because, you know, even if you want to keep, keep up with it, um, like it's exhausting and difficult, but it's just, it's, it's, it's indicative of, I mean, you can see, see this sort of unfolding in the films themselves. Like, as the stakes continue to raise, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, oh, it's, you know, it's a personal struggle. Oh, now it's, you know, saving a city. Now it's saving the world. Now it's saving the galaxy. Now it's saving reality. Yeah. As the, as the stakes continue to raise, the amount of shit that you give just continues to lower. Yes. Um, and, you know, you sort of end up painting yourself in a corner. I mean, I, I, I think that with the, with the superhero stuff, the writing's on the wall, that mm-hmm. this is, it's, it's, I think it's going to, I think we're in the, the twilight of that right now. Yeah, I think we are too, you know. Um, um, the box office would seem to indicate that. And I don't know what the next genre is that will come along, if anything. Mm-hmm. Hollywood's mm-hmm. kind of, I've gotten the impression and had confirmation from several f- friends in the industry that Hollywood's kind of on the ropes now in general. Um, you know, people, you know, saw saw how miserable the film going experience was in 2020. <laughs> They're like, oh, this is kind of nice to just be able to sit here at home. And, but yeah. I think, I think just, I don't think necessarily streaming is the future either. I think the whole model is changing, and you know, maybe people are going back to. Maybe I'm being a little bit too optimistic about this, but maybe people are are turning to other forms of entertainment, and it's just you know everything has a time and a place. Yeah, it does. Uh, I think it's just, you know, it's things go the way, you know, they have a lifespan and then then they fade. You know, I I think what's interesting about this point is that the stories are fading uh, and like it it doesn't matter the budget. It doesn't matter the quality of of the visual effects because they can't, you know, they might be great, but they can't carry the story. You know, like they, they cannot just be the vehicle for delivery. You know, it makes me, I think back to, you know, again, that idea of meaning, which ultimately, you know, I, I, I think is a thread that goes through. You, you, I've got my hand on your book, which is why my arm's over here. That's why, that's why I'm linking my thoughts together. I'm touching the book. I'm reading the book. Um, but, but fundamentally, with Ecology of Souls, reading through it, is that, You're like you're you're painting a picture of. Well, I I read it this way of like, there is there's depth and there's meaning out there that is almost unfathomable, you know. That's that's realer than, 
than what you're going to experience in, in your mundane world, you know, um, and it's integrally tied to your existence. Uh, I mean, yeah, ironically, the most, the deepest and most real things are the most intangible, you know, what I mean? yeah. everybody knows this on some mm -hmm. level, anybody yeah. who's ever felt love or, or compassion knows this, but you know, just, we get distracted by shiny things. Mm. Um, and that's part of the reason, like, I've run out of so much patience with the, a lot of the UFO community that's still obsessed with, you know, nuts and bolts. Yeah. And it's not saying that, you know, I necessarily want to go congregate with the people who are talking about Lemurian past lives ascending into the seventh crystal density or whatever. Um, but I, I do think that there's a middle way that sort of says, hey, these things seem to have some sort of these things can manifest objective qualities, I guess is the way to put it. Right. But also they seem to be more aligned with, you know, the, the, the question at stake is, is one of, you know, the human soul. And I'm not saying, you know, I know some people who, the monists and the animists, animism has come sort of become sort of a little bit of a bad word nowadays, but like the monists and the animists will say, how dare you have such an anthropocentric perspective? But that's not what I really mean, just soul in general. Um, mm -hmm. That's that's the matter at stake. That's the, the primary concern. And, you know, life energy, I guess, would be probably a better way to put it. But, you know, these experiences have some things that you can measure, but that's not their primary concern. So when you drew, again, drew to a close with, with this book, how did you, like, did you struggle to, des to describe what it was about or was it clearer to you? Um, you're talking about like literally in the conclusion or in terms of like an elevator pitch that I would have? With an elevator pitch. I mean, no, well, so it, it kind of falls in line with, and this is maybe why I'm a little bit more optimistic these days, the number of people that I've had conversations with, you know, the normies, quote unquote, mm -hmm. um, who, whom I've had conversations with who really reject the extraterrestrial hypothesis has been quite striking. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not, you know, I'm not here to necessarily bash on the, the ETH, even though I have a lot of problems with that line of thinking, but um the, the number of people that I've come up to and, and they've said, you know, I started saying, you know, I started, I started my pitch about why UFOs probably aren't from other planets. And they say, no, you know, I think they're, I think they're interdimensional. I'm like, Oh, okay. Uh, I don't know where you got that from, but kudos to you. That's a, that's a good starting point. You know, I would quibble with the whole, I would quibble with the, um, with the way that we think of, I would quibble with the way that we spackle, uh, the other world with dimensions you know it's it's always like well okay well what are we really talking about here um but yeah that's you're on board with something that's a little bit different so in that sense it hasn't been difficult getting the idea across to people and you know to the contrary whenever people do talk about the extraterrestrial hypothesis i say okay it's possible um certainly there's 70 years of scholarship that has been approaching this topic almost solely from that angle but consider the consider you know a couple of things number one the fact that the alien abduction experience looks like all these other conduct modalities, looks like near-death experiences, looks like psychedelic trips, looks like shamanic initiations, etc. And the fact that, you know, dead people show up in alien abductions. Mm. And that, that one always does take them by surprise and sort of, you know, allows them an opportunity to sort of rethink what they're 
what they're thinking or you know so my 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 statement at the end of the day is usually like uh you know if we're dealing with if we're dealing with little green scientists from other planets they're really fucking weird little green scientists from <laughs> other planets right <clears throat> no model no model that we have the extraterrestrial model has been approaching the ufo question through a materialist lens and that lens fails in light of a lot of the data mm-hmm. that's probably the simplest put thing so i'm not really sure if that answers your question <laughs> but that gives you some insight into like how i approach this with people um you know in drawing my conclusions at the end i i think it's it's interesting because you know it's two volumes plus the companion but there's kind of a another book that's included in ecology of souls that i think if you go back and read that with this in mind it kind of does read a little bit differently which is me just trying to reconcile my own faith and spiritual practice with a mm-hmm. lot of this stuff and you know i don't approach the book as a christian that's not mm-hmm. scholarly and that's not you know um but at the same time like a lot of this is me trying to say like how did how how could this fit into what i'm dealing with on my own sort of internal mm-hmm. personal level yeah um and that's that's what the afterword of of volume two is is dedicated um yeah. to sort of exploring but then, yeah, I think you go back and you read it and you're like, oh, he's kind of he's kind of trying to figure out a way to to make this all play together, because you know there, there's there's so many, there's such a depth of connection between these different topics and a consistency. You know, that's the thing that always floors me. Um, that I do think it, it points to a certain amount of accuracy across these older ways of thinking and these newer you know experiences. So how does that interface with you know, American Christian belief, which is this happy, clappy, kind of don't think about the, the larger implications of what you're dealing with kind of, you know, yeah. vibe. Um, you know, and to that end, I, I ascribe to being like a Christian animist mystic, something along those lines. But, <laughs> but you know, but, you know, so yeah. I, I do think that there's, you know, that, that's part of it too. Um, yeah. yeah. So sorry, that was a bit of a rambling response. No, no, I, no, I tend, no. To, I tend to do that. <laughs> 260,000 words yeah <laughs> it's true it's yeah, <laughs> probably comes from the same place um yeah well that's 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 really intriguing you know um but see i i think you can find a balance with that you know and i think the very kind of the the very structure of of the the complexity of of all the different sources that you pull on to, to to build a work highlight that is like these things seem like the other ends of the universe fairies ufos you know near-death experience psychedelic experiences yet you find incredible levels of commonality between all of these different areas you know and I, and I think you can you can still fit your own you can you not necessarily marry but you certainly can align your 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 own faith in there yeah it's, it's almost like you know the phenomenon i think you know taken taken holistically does point to a certain degree of monism mm. um you know that's that's the testimony of a lot of ufo experiencers um mm. not that we should necessarily believe these entities but it does point to sort of a monist perspective but i also think the way that you approach the topic can be well served by <laughs> a monist perspective in your sources you know what i mean mm-hmm. like like take take everything you can from everywhere as long as it's not fictional or sketchy or you know directly tied to really problematic beliefs or something like there's there's room to to to, to see how all of this 
really speaks to the reality of, of these phenomena. Mm-hmm. Well, Joshua, it's been wonderful, wonderful to have you on the on the show. If if people want to find your work, um, find out more about you and your fifteen thousand words a day, um, <laughs> where where's the best place for them to do so? JoshuaCutchin.com, J O S H U A C U T C H I N, just like a cut on your chin, no S. dot <laughs> <laughs> com. JoshuaCutchin.com. Yeah, I've I've had to I've had to make that correction a couple of times in the past. I don't know if you can if you can tell. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thank you very much for coming back coming back on the Spirit Box. Thanks so much, there. I appreciate it. Joshua. Well, I hope you all got something from that. I certainly did. It was uh, fantastic to have Joshua on the show, um, particularly as I just finished uh, volume one of, of his uh, of his epic work. I truly, truly encourage you to get yourself a copy of Ecology of Souls. For me, it really is up there with Passport to Magonia and Diamonic Reality. It, it, it's, I think in time, um, Joshua will get a lot of uh, praise for what he's achieved, even more so than he's getting now. It's 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 a vast undertaking. It was a vast undertaking, which he has nobly achieved and created something for us that's exceptional. So kudos to him. Do yourself a favor, pick up a copy while you still can. Uh, links are in the show notes. Right, that's it for me. I'm Dara Mason. You've been listening to the Spirit Box. Take care and talk soon. Bye.